Alrighty then, Jeremiah 17. Open your Bibles, navigate on your electronic device to Jeremiah chapter 17. We're going to look at verses 19 through 27 today. The topic, the Jews are exhorted by Jeremiah to quit saying no to God with regards to his command that they keep the Sabbath. And so the title of our message is, No Sabbath for You. All right, yeah. Father, thank you for our morning. I wonder if we understand the joy of worship. What a joy it is to you, Lord, to hear your children sing. Every bit as much so and more so, obviously, than when our little ones sing. I know right now, Lord, when I hear CJ or little Jean singing, Lord, it's so precious and wonderful, and especially when they're singing to you. Lord, we're your children and we've sung to you. And now, Lord, you're in a sense going to sing over us by opening up our hearts to your word. We want to have ears to hear what your spirit says to us as your church, corporately, but especially individually, one by one. We're going to talk a little bit about rest today, Lord, as you know. It's your topic of discussion so I pray that we would be brought to a place of spiritual rest as we go through your word. Change us, transform us. We give you our hearts in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. State of California wants you to take a rest. State labor laws require that employers set aside rest periods during your work day. If you didn't know this, it's going to be exciting to you. Here in California, if you are a non-exempt worker, you're entitled to 10-minute breaks for every four hours you work. If an employer does not provide all of the rest periods required in a workday, the employee is entitled to one additional hour of pay for that workday. Employees can actually sue for violations of meal and rest break provisions going back a period of three years. Rest is important to the state of California. Rest was important to God. After six days creating the world, he rested on the seventh day. Centuries later, his chosen nation, the nation of Israel, was commanded to observe rest breaks called Sabbaths. There was a weekly Sabbath, sundown Friday through sundown Saturday, but there were also every seventh year Sabbaths called sabbatical years, and there was a year of jubilee every 50th year. The Jews weren't observing the Sabbath year and the year of jubilee. As for the weekly Sabbath, they went to the temple for worship, but they violated God's command to rest by working on the Sabbath. Jeremiah was sent to speak out against God's people for their failure to keep the Sabbaths good for him. Sooner or later, someone is going to try to bust your chops about your failure to keep the Sabbath. Shame on them. As I hope to show you, keeping the Sabbath in the traditional sense they mean of doing no physical work on whichever day they deem the Sabbath, that's the exact opposite of what God intends today. The people who really violate the Sabbath are the ones who are trying so hard to keep it. We'll get to that conclusion by asking two questions as we work through the text. Number one, why would you want to be burdened on the Sabbath? And number two, why would you want to be burdened by the Sabbath? First of all, why would you want to be burdened on the Sabbath? Setting your personal work ethic aside for a moment, 
because I know all of us have a very strong work ethic and we don't really want to take our breaks or our vacations. We don't even really want to retire. We're just gung-ho. Set that aside and think, if your boss wanted to give you time off, why wouldn't you take it? God told his people, rest every seventh day, every seventh year, and every 50th year. It sounds great. The problem with resting every seventh year, for example, though, was that you were talking to farmers whose lives and livelihood depended upon their annual harvest. The Sabbath year meant they were not to sow any seed, but instead they let the ground lie fallow and idle. All debts were to be canceled as well. And so not only you weren't bringing in a crop, you weren't having any of uh, the money owed to you paid back. Following seven cycles of Sabbath years, every 50th year was to be a year of jubilee when in addition to the requirements of the Sabbath year, all ancestral lands were restored to their original tribe and all slaves were set free. You know what all that meant? It meant the Jews had to actively trust in God and not in themselves. They had to trust, for example, that God was gonna provide them the extra harvest during the sixth year so that they would have enough food to get them through the seventh year. They had to trust that even though they remitted debts, returned lands, and released slaves, they would nevertheless be prospered by God. You see how, from a worldly standpoint, that doesn't sound right, does it? God's gonna give me so much food in the sixth year that I don't need to bring in a harvest. And when I remit debts and give land back and set slaves free, I'm gonna prosper for giving all of that away. You harvest in the sixth year, no harvest in the seventh, you wouldn't have a harvest again until the harvest of the eighth year, two seasons after your last harvest. That's a long, long time for a farmer who lives off the land to wait. The Sabbaths God required weren't really about the need for physical rest. Not really. I'm all for rest, especially now that I've gotten older. I rest all the time. I just kind of nod off. It's a judgment, I believe, for making fun of my Uncle Dan. <laughs> my Uncle Dan Romanello, my, uh, my mom's sister's husband, Daniel and Philomena Romanello. Is that fantastic or what? I just love it. They moved to California, Rialto, California. We came out to visit them and then we moved because California in the 50s was a lot nicer than Connecticut anytime. Uh, and so we moved, but Uncle Dan, as he got older, he would just be talking. To <laughs> and then about five minutes later, he would just exactly where he left off. And you just have to be ready for it, you know? Uh, he just, you never knew when Uncle Dan was going to rest. Uh, and so I'm into rest, but these rest periods, the, the Sabbath wasn't really just so you could recharge yourself physically. They were a test of faith in which the Jews must trust in God to sustain them rather than in their own resources and devices. Once they quit observing the big Sabbaths, the, uh, the, seven, uh, the sabbatic year and the year of Jubilee, seemingly without any consequences from God. It didn't seem like God did anything about it. It became easier to violate the weekly Sabbath. And so now comes Jeremiah, verse 19. Thus the Lord said to me, go and stand in the gate of the children of the people by which the kings of Judah come in and by which they go out and in all the gates of Jerusalem and say to them, 
Hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah and all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem who enter by these gates. Jeremiah preached this message several times at different gates in order to reach the greatest number of people. Perhaps he realized that the folks were, you know, seeing what gate he was at and then they would come in through a different gate because they didn't want to hear him say this over and over. And so Jeremiah would, would uh, switch up the gates that he was at so he would reach everyone with this important message. It speaks to me, by the way, about different approaches for us to get out the gospel rather than getting stuck in old habits. A good question to ask is, where are the gates that we should be standing outside of in order to bring the gospel to folks in our community? It's a good question worthy of our asking and our answering through prayer. Now, verse 21 says, thus says the Lord, take heed to yourselves and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem, nor carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day, nor do any work, but hallow the Sabbath day as I commanded your fathers. Some of them were bringing stuff in by the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Others were bringing stuff out of their houses on the Sabbath day. Town dwellers, city folk, were bringing their merchandise to the temple to sell to farmers. And farmers were bringing their produce to the temple to sell to town dwellers. In other words, the Sabbath had become the Monday sale with the Thursday farmer's market thrown in. It was everything that Hanford does all at once. And so you, you, you could buy all kinds of stolen merchandise and all kinds of great produce at the same time. Verse 23, they did not obey nor incline their ear, but they made their neck stiff and they might not, that they might not hear nor receive instruction. To paraphrase Captain Barboza, one of my favorite characters, they were disinclined to acquiesce to God's request. They said no to the Sabbath. Verse 24, and it shall be if you heed me carefully, says the Lord, to bring no burden through the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but hallow the Sabbath day, don't do work on it, then shall enter the gates of this city kings and princes sitting on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses. They and their princes accompanied by the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and this city shall remain forever and they shall come from the cities of Judah and from the places around Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin and from the lowland and from the mountains and from the south, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings and incense, bringing sacrifices of praise to the house of the Lord." Here, God promised to prosper Jerusalem physically and spiritually if they would only quit working on the Sabbath. People from all over would flock to them, having seen the example of a people who, though seemingly dependent upon the land and its annual harvest, nevertheless trusted more in God who had given them the land. I mean, think it through for a minute. You're a non-believing Gentile. You're checking out the Jews you know that you can't buy or sell uh, on Saturday, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. They're, they're completely shut down. Then you find out that every seven years they don't till their soil, they don't plant, and that every 50 years they remit all their debts and they do all this stuff. Now, from the point of view of a Gentile non-believer, that's just stupid. That's just bad economics. It doesn't make any sense economically why not do your business on the Sabbath day when most of the people are around? It's like Black Friday. Why let the land lie fallow? Why do all of that? But as you watch those Jews, 
You saw that they did it, you, you could see that they were doing it with joy and that as they did it, God was actually prospering them. It was like an anti-economics. And you might start to think that there was something about this God of Israel. You would see that you could trust in God for physical rest and it might convey, if you were a seeker, the understanding that God provides spiritual rest for the soul. That God, their God, who could take care of them physically, certainly could do it spiritually. And you would want to know more about that God. And so the Sabbath was evangelistic in that it became a symbol of the rest of salvation. All the Jew had to do was nothing, do no work on the Sabbath, but they did work on the Sabbath. And they did plant in the Sabbath year. And they ignored the requirements of the year of Jubilee. In all of those things, they showed that they trusted in themselves, not in God. So you see, the Sabbath wasn't just a day set aside to rest up physically. It wasn't even a day set aside for worship, although it was that. It was a visible exercise of faith and belief in the promises of God. The Jews wanted to be burdened on the Sabbath because they didn't believe, they didn't have faith that God would actually take care of them. Our problem as New Testament non-Jewish believers is a little different. The question we need to ask is why would you want to be burdened by the Sabbath? Now the Jews in Jeremiah's day were most definitely required to keep the Sabbath and because they hadn't, judgment was coming. Verse 27 says, but if you will not heed me to hallow the Sabbath day, such as not carrying a burden when entering the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, I will kindle a fire in its gates and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem and it shall not be quenched. Again, this is a reference to the coming Babylonian invasion when the armies of King Nebuchadnezzar would tear down the walls of Jerusalem, burn the city and destroy and burn the temple. The captivity would last exactly 70 years. After they destroyed Jerusalem, they would take the people captive. It would last exactly 70 years. Why 70 years? It got its duration from a series of failed Sabbaths. Between the Exodus and the Babylonian captivity, the Sabbath year, the every seven year Sabbath, had been disregarded a total of 70 times by the Jews. And so God said, you wouldn't let the land lie fallow. You didn't trust me for 70 years. And so I'm going to let the land lie fallow for 70 years while you're in the Babylonian captivity. Very interesting sense of uh, just meaning right there. Now, we are under no obligation to keep the Sabbath. Not weekly, not every seven years, not every 50 years, not ever. Not on Saturday, not on Sunday. The Sabbath means nothing to us as New Testament believers. Why? Well, there's a lot of biblical arguments to support the fact we are not required to keep the Sabbath, but one verse is really sufficient. I mean, you can talk about this till you're blue in the face, but Paul the Apostle wrote in Colossians 2.16, he said, let no one judge you in, and then he lists some things that are uh, unique to the Jewish religion. He says, don't let anyone judge you in food or in drink, that means dietary laws, or regarding a festival or a new moon that has to do with the Jewish calendar, or Sabbaths. And so if you cut that, if you condense that, Paul says, no one can judge you in the area of keeping or not keeping the Sabbath. 
And what he meant by that is, if you want to keep a Sabbath, have it unto yourself and the Lord. If I don't want to, it's nothing. And nobody can tell anybody else that the Sabbath needs to be kept or that it is an ordinance that is upon the church for today. When he wrote that, he was addressing the very issue of certain false teachers trying to convince believers they must keep certain rules and regulations in order to truly be saved. And so they would come in and say, well, you received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were born again, but unless you're also keeping the Sabbath, you're not really saved. And Paul said, yeah, no, that's not true. In fact, it's a false heretical teaching. He gets into it later on in the book of Galatians where he starts calling these guys dogs. Kind of rough language. Not like your pet dog, like these feral dogs that you know, are in these third world countries. And so Paul is serious about this. He says, if you wanna keep a Sabbath, that's between you and the Lord, and that's it. It's not a requirement, and no one can tell you that it is. So people say, but didn't God rest on the seventh day of creation, thereby establishing the Sabbath day as a day of rest for everyone throughout history? That's a big argument. Well, God did rest on the seventh day of creation, but nowhere did he say that the seventh day was the Sabbath, and he did not command anyone to keep it until the time of Moses. You don't see Adam Enoch, Noah, or Abraham, who was the first Jew, ever keeping a Sabbath. You only assume that they did. And so people say, wait a minute, that's an argument from silence. Just because it doesn't say they didn't, that they kept the Sabbath doesn't mean they didn't. I'm saying just because it doesn't say they didn't keep the Sabbath doesn't mean they did. Yours is the argument from silence. And look at Adam. Adam's in the garden, right? He's in the garden with Eve, and God does require a number of things from he and Eve. He's very clear. He says, Adam and Eve, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tend the garden. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. And here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to eat of the fruit of the tree of the, good, of good, of the knowledge of good and evil. That was it. That's all God told them to do. He didn't say anything about them keeping the seventh day. And you know what? Right there when God was saying, I want you to garden and till the garden, would have been a perfect place for him to say, but not on Saturday because that is a Sabbath. But he doesn't say that. And so we assume that they rested on the Sabbath, but they really didn't. Even after the fall in the garden, Sabbath keeping was never mentioned to our first parents nor is it ever mentioned to any of the other godly men and women who preceded the giving of the law to the nation of Israel. When Moses came along, God gave him the law for Israel, and in it he specified the Sabbath was especially for Israel. Here, let me read it to you, Exodus 31, 16 and 17. He says, therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. No Sabbath was ever required of believers until Moses and then it was between God and the nation of Israel. You cannot find any command to the Gentiles to keep the Sabbath in the pages of Scripture, either Old or New Testament, unless they converted and became part of the nation of Israel. And when you do see Gentiles in the New Testament being told they must observe the Sabbath, it is attacked as a false teaching. By the way, in the Sabbath command, you are told to work for six days 
and then take a day of rest, right? I mean, if you read it, that's what it says. You're to work for six days, do no work on the seventh day. So people come along and they always say, well, you, you're on, you have to keep the Sabbath. We think it's Sunday, they say, instead of Saturday. But any, either way, you have to keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Otherwise, you're, you're gonna die and go to hell because this is so important. But that's not all the verse says. The verse says you, could, you, you have to keep one day set aside, but it also says you have to work how many days? Six days. How many days do most people work? Five days. Oh, what happened? And you know, this is why people used to work for six days. I can remember my dad, we had to beg my dad and practically kidnap him to close the shop on Saturdays. And finally, he said he'd close it half a day on Saturday because everybody used to work six days and have a day off based on this Sabbath. But now, people come along and they say, oh, as long as you keep a day and do some kinds of things that you think are spiritual, you're keeping the Sabbath. And God would say, hmm, if you're gonna keep the law, why not keep all the law the way I gave it? And so you're gonna have to go to the state of California and lobby for a six-day work week because that's what the Bible says if you wanna follow that kind of thing. And so I just, I get tired I get tired of, of people being burdened by other people who say, oh, this is what you have to do to really be a Christian. And it's always something crazy like this. So why would anyone want to be burdened by trying to keep the Sabbath? Well, it's legalism, pure and simple. It is doing something for God to show your own righteousness. We call that sort of thing self-righteousness, and it's not a good thing. It, it'd be like going into the church and saying, I, I'm... Glad I'm not like these Calvary Chapel people. I keep the Sabbath. I, you know, maintain the Sabbath. And it becomes a self-righteousness. Now I think we're ready to explain how it is the people who really violate the Sabbath are those who are trying to keep it. The Jewish Sabbath communicated that people could rest and that God would do the work for them. He would provide for them. And we also saw how it was a symbol of salvation. Put that together and you see that the Sabbath rest was a type of salvation in that we rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. When you look at the Sabbath, it is supposed to give you the idea that just as the Jews could rest and trust in God for all their physical prosperity, we can rest in Jesus Christ for every spiritual prosperity because he's done all the work for us on the cross. We therefore cease from all works of righteousness and we rest in the finished work of the cross. And so whenever somebody comes along and says, it's the cross plus something else, the Sabbath, baptism, communion, whatever it is, the cross plus something else is always a step backwards in your relationship with the Lord because it's the cross plus nothing. God has done the work. We can't bring him our works of righteousness. They're nothing. After we're saved and we're in the righteousness of Christ, we just want to please God and it flows naturally, not because we have to, but because we get to. If I try to do things like keep the Sabbath, I void the symbolism of resting in his finished work on the cross. If somebody were to look at my life, they would think, oh, I guess you need Jesus Christ to die for you and for you to keep 24 hours a week. 
By the way, and I, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but this is true. If you're really a Roman Catholic and you buy into the Roman Catholic doctrine, if you don't go to Mass every week, you cannot be saved. And so Roman Catholicism, among its many teachings, real teachings, is that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and by your attendance weekly at the Mass. Now you're doing exactly what the Jews did back in Jeremiah's time. I'm keeping the, uh, you know, I'm a believer, but I have to do these certain things in order to really be a believer. And there's no, you know, I have to work and there's no rest. And so people think, well, what's the difference between your God and the rest of the gods? There's a lot of talk in the book of Hebrews, especially chapter four, about entering into God's rest. The situation in that book is very appropriate to our point. The Hebrew Christians, Jews who had converted to Christianity and were born again, because of intense persecution, were being tempted to go back into Judaism. They wanted to believe Jesus Christ and be saved, but they also wanted to do all of the Jewish rites and rituals so that they would no longer be persecuted. And the writer to the Hebrews said, that is a huge step backward away from maturity into immaturity, away from faith into disbelief. And one of those things that they were trying to keep was the Sabbath. Now, if you wanted to keep a Sabbath, you think Saturday's cool, I wanna spend time with God on Saturday, that's fine, but you can't think that it's making you righteous or that it's for anybody else. That's just between you and the Lord. Jesus didn't die on the cross so he and I could spend one day a week together. It's another way of looking at it. I came across an illustration I think is appropriate, I'll just read it to you. It says, imagine that you have just met someone and you've fallen in love. You spend every moment with them because you love to be in their presence. But your employer requires you to travel to another country to work for a year. Hopefully you get your 10 minute breaks. You're separated from the one you love. While you're away, you agree that every week on Saturday, you'll have a video conference call to catch up with each other. You therefore look forward to Saturday every week. You plan everything around it. When the time comes for your video conference, you drop everything to spend that time communicating with your beloved. Nothing encroaches on that time. When the year is finished, you return home. What do you do? Do you continue to have a video conference call on Saturday? No, you're back home. You communicate and relate every moment of every day. The weekly video conference calls are no longer needed. You abandon them in favor of the reality of direct, ongoing relationship with the one you love. Attempts to keep some version of a Sabbath are like the conference call. It's a step backwards into a ritual Christianity when Jesus has torn the veil from top to bottom and says, come boldly to the throne of grace. Anytime, anywhere, all the time, we're together. Many Christians think that Sunday has somehow become the new Sabbath day for Christians. That is just not true. The early church did in fact meet on Sunday, usually Sunday night. They met on Sunday because it's the day Jesus rose from the dead and because it's kind of the day off that people had in the Roman Empire. But the very fact that they met on Sunday distinguishes it from the Sabbath. It marked the break from an old covenant to celebrate the new covenant in Jesus Christ. Nowhere is there any teaching in the Bible that transfers the Sabbath to Sunday. In our Wednesday Men's Fellowship, Gino referred to a quote. 
It's attributed to Matthew Henry. I was floored by it. I've been thinking about it all week. It's just spot on to our subject this morning and just, it's just a great quote. Matthew Henry said, it is easier to build temples than to be the temple. Man, that's powerful. Christians want to build temples. Lots of activity, lots of outward working. In the meantime, they're missing the most important thing. They're like the church at Ephesus where Jesus said, man, you guys are, yeah, it's built a great temple here. You're fighting false teachers and you're teaching the word, you're doing all this, but you've left the most important thing and that is your love for me. One of the ways I think some Christians at least do this today is what we would call programmatic Christianity. Latest book comes out, you need to do three things or five things or pray a certain way or take 40 days and do this. Next thing you know, churches begin to adopt that all over America. You know, we're gonna take these next days and do the program in this book. And the idea is that I'm not spiritual, but if I do these things, if I keep this Sabbath, this new Sabbath of, you know, 10 days or 40 days or whatever it is, then I will be so much more spiritual over here. Why doesn't it work then? Why does that fall off and then the next book come through and the next book and the next book? Because it's all outward. It's all based on what I do for God and all the while I'm Skyping God when I can just talk to him moment by moment and day by day. And God is wondering what is going on uh, and so we need to get away from that. We need to resist everything programmatic. Every day is your Sabbath Every moment is a Sabbath rest because Jesus has done all the work for you. And you know what? Jesus said, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle, lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Now in context, he was talking in one sense about the, the Jewish religion all the Jewish religious leaders and all the things that they did and they required of people and all the extra rules and regulations. For example, you've all violated the Sabbath today if you drove your car here because it is, I don't know if you know this or not, but in Jew, according to the rabbis, driving a car on the Sabbath is a violation because you kindle a fire because you have an internal combustion engine. It also violates several other things. And so you say, well, I walk to church. I'm more spiritual than you. I hope you didn't walk more than 1,000 yards because that's the distance you can walk on the Sabbath. You realize no one keeps the Sabbath. Not the way it's in, you know, that it's come down. Just going to church on Saturday or Sunday, that is not keeping the Sabbath. You wanna go to church on Saturday, do it. Wednesday, it doesn't matter. Any day of the week, every day of the week, that's not the Sabbath and we're not under that. And so Jesus was taught, he said, hey, you people, you average normal everyday people who feel like losers because there's these spiritual giants, supposedly, come to me. I am offering you rest. And he was talking, extending out past the cross to the rest of salvation. He says, you're, you're not gonna have to work for righteousness. In fact, you can't really work for it. They've got it all backwards. They don't understand what it's like to have a relationship with the living God, and that's what I'm offering and when you come to me, I'll, I'll minister to you. I'll heal you. I'll help you. I'll answer your questions. You say, well, wait a minute. I've got a lot of unanswered questions. We do and we don't. 
all of our questions are ultimately answered in that relationship, in looking at Jesus. And you think, you know, a lot of times, I've been thinking about this a lot, a lot of times we blame things on God, we're mad at God, we're angry with God, we're, we think God is indifferent. You know, it's, it's a normal thing. Atheists do it, Christians do it. The solution is to, to quit thinking about God in some nebulous sense, trying to answer questions that we can't answer. Why did God allow this? Why didn't God allow that? What's God doing? The answer is to just look at Jesus Christ because when Jesus was on the earth, he says, if you want to know anything at all about God, if you want to see God and know God and understand God's heart, all you have to do is look at me. All you have to do is listen to me. All you have to do is watch me. One point, his disciples said, hey, this, this disaster that happened over here, whose fault was? He says, don't even worry about that. He says, that's, that's not the question. Here's the issue. And he, and he put it back on you know, their relationship with him. And so I, I, I struggle with things. You struggle with things. There are things that we have no answers for. Just the other day, some, I've, you know, Facebook, it's an interesting thing. There's some people I follow on Facebook that aren't Christians. And, and they asked, you know, they said, hey, if they had some quote by Epicurus about, you know, if God is such, if God is God, how, how can there be evil in the world? That kind of a thing. I'm thinking, well, God also gave mankind free will. And he's, in a sense, took a risk in the Garden of Eden, didn't he? With Adam and Eve. And they didn't choose very wisely. But then God came right in and he said, look, you've, you've really messed everything up. I mean, it's It's bad. It's bad on a quantum level. I mean, you can't understand how bad this is. But you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna step into that badness. I'm gonna get right in the middle of it as a human being, as the God-man, and I'm gonna take care of it for you. Along the way, there's gonna be a lot of suffering, a lot of bitterness, a lot of grief, a lot of pain. It's the result of that choice. And you and I, I think in our, we, in our honest moments, we know that we would have made that same choice because we, we do it all the time anyway. And whenever something's happening that I don't understand, instead of trying to figure it out, I have to believe that God is revealed in Jesus Christ and that he loves me and that he died for me, he rose from the dead for me so that I could have eternal life. And when I get there, he'll either explain it to me or I'll have no need for explanation because I'll understand love and grace and purpose in a way that I've never thought of before. And so look to the Lord. Are you suffering? Are you hurting this morning? Something's going on in your life? Jesus is the answer. Not keeping a Sabbath. Uh, in a sense, not, not doing anything. It is being saved and realizing that you have access immediately Bold access to a throne of grace and mercy.